Hey y'all, it's Jude, Ada, and Anna Corinne, and this is our executive order. Today we'll be highlighting the candidates from the Local and State Issues Forum hosted by the Office of Civic Engagement, featuring candidates from both our local district of Washington and some of our statewide positions like the Governor and Lieutenant Governor as well. We'll also dive a little bit into what issues were discussed and what issues seem super important to students to have addressed. You can access the full forum on our YouTube channel, which can be found by searching ASWWU OCE and will be linked in our bio. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to Anna Corinne. Before we dive in, here is an introduction from each of the candidates featured in this forum. First, we sat down with one of the Washington State Lieutenant Governor candidates. I'm Marco Leas, a lifelong Washingtonian, state senator and a college professor running to be our next Lieutenant Governor. I'm a lifelong Washingtonian, as I said, and grew up here. Up next are the Wacom Public Utilities Commissioner candidates. So my name is Christine Grant, and I'm a candidate for a six-year term as a PUD commissioner. Uh, I decided to run for this position to give voters a choice between the current uh, status quo and a new direction that's more responsive to 21st challenges. Thank you. My name is Jeff McClure. A little bit about myself. My wife and I moved to Whatcom County about 40 years ago. Immediately got involved in civic life on a number of boards, but also established my architectural practice in downtown Bellingham. Next are the Washington Legislative State Representative candidates from District 40 and District 42. My name is Alex Rammel. I'm a single dad. I'm a community organizer and I'm an unflinching Democrat. I was appointed this last January to represent the 40th district, and I stepped into that role with a commitment to being a leader who listens, collaborates, and who's ready to work with everyone. Mr. Jallo, go ahead. Thanks again for, for hosting this forum. Um, I'm running for state representative as a Republican, bring to the table with a wide range of, uh, of skills and abilities, a, a degree in business, and experience working in business. I'm Sharon Shumay. Um, I teach here at Western. Um, I'm an economist. I teach uh, environmental economics. I teach intro to micro. I teach urban economics. And sometimes I also teach energy policy courses. And I want to say that one of the things that inspired me to run was Western students themselves. Thank you so much. And it seems that we did in fact manage to get Miss Alicia Rule into the call. Yes, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. After that, we have the Washington Supreme Court Justice positions for positions three and six. Starting with Judge Montoya Lewis. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate the opportunity. I was a part of the Western Washington University community for 12 years as a professor at Fairhaven College. So it's a nice opportunity for me to return. Hi, I'm Judge Dave Larson. I've been a, ju a trial judge for about 12 years now. I was a trial lawyer for 23 years before that. I want to, us to have more attention to the people we serve, the people we're, we're failing every day. And uh, that's one reason why I'm, why I'm running. Mr. Cerns, go ahead. Good evening. Uh, I too want to thank you for the opportunity to be here. I um, spent many uh, happy days at Western as a recruiter for the Federal Right School District when I was recruiting teachers and also did um, some HR training there. Next up are U.S. Congressional Representative candidates from District 1 and 2. 
My name is Rick Larson. I'm running for re-election to Congress, and I would really like your support. People are voting right now. Turnout in Whatcom County is nearly 60%. And I hope uh, if you're not one of those 60% that you are not one of those 60% that you become part of what could be uh, record-breaking turnout because your vote is important, especially this year. So once again, my name is Tim Hazelow, and uh, I'm running for Congress in the 2nd Congressional District as a different type of candidate. I don't want to be a lifetime politician. I want to go in there. I want to fix some things. I want to stir some stuff up. I want to get rid of the career politicians who have been there for 20, 30, 40 years, and yet look where we're at today. Hi, I'm Susan Delbene, and I've had the honor of representing the 1st Congressional District since 2012. I first ran for Congress and continue to run because I believe everyone should have access to opportunity. After that, we sat down with Wacom Superior Court judge candidates for positions two and four. Uh, Mr. Jones, you can go ahead and start. Boy, I'm excited to be here talking to Western. I'm an alumni. I graduated from Western in 2005 with an economics degree after growing up in Bellingham and Wacom County. My name is David Freeman, and I'm your current uh, judge for Whatcom County Superior Court Department 4. Uh, like Mr. Jones, Western is my alma mater, and I am really excited to be talking to the students at Western. Um, one of the things I loved most about Western was, was the engagement that students had in both politics and the local community. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Jim Nelson, and I'm running for Whatcom County Superior Court Position 4. I have uh, 31 years uh, experience working as an attorney. I've done um, prosecution and I've done defense. I've done public defense as well. Next up, we would love to hear an introduction from Mr. Erb. Hello to the uh, Associated Students of Western and thank you to the Office of Civic Engagement for hosting this forum. I'm excited to be here. Um, I've been practicing law in the public sector for over 15 years. Uh, representing state, tribal, and local government. Up next are our Washington Secretary of State candidates. Starting with Secretary Wyman. Well, thank you very much. I have over 27 years experience conducting elections at the state and county level. I have been nationally certified and state certified as an election administrator, and I've earned the respect of my colleagues who, who conduct elections at the state level and the county level. Uh, thanks so much to Western Washington. I'm State Representative Gail Tarleton, and I am the Democratic candidate for Secretary of State. I'm running for Secretary of State because this job has changed in a pretty fundamental way uh, since the 2016 elections. It became apparent to me as a former defense intelligence analyst and a national security expert. Finally, we sat down with our current Washington State Governor, Jay Inslee, who is running for re-election. Well, thank you. It's an honor to join the Vikings today. Uh, my introduction is uh, the most important thing I can tell you as I'm a, a father of a Western grad who fell in love with uh, your college when my son was learning the fine arts of public policy. Uh, the second thing you should know about me is I love the work that Western is doing against climate change. Uh, this has been a, a not only a passion of mine, but an existential threat to our state and our nation and our small little blue planet. During the forum, the candidates discussed several topics relevant to Western students. The candidates of the Public Utilities District position discussed expanding internet across Whatcom County, which is extremely important, especially during COVID times. 
Senator Elias, what actions will you take to support college students in Washington? Well, I, um, like I said in my introduction, the first in my family to go to college. I think what we have to do most right now is ensure that there are multiple pathways to opportunity. And we've got to stay laser focused on ensuring that college is tuition free, debt free uh, for all of our participants. We've also got to make sure that we're attending to the full cost of attendance. We know that there are so many students that are struggling with housing instability, food instability, uh, and the need to access healthcare and behavioral health services in this really tough time. We need to make sure we're supporting our students both on and off campus. What actions will you take to address the massive college debt that students face in our state? And we'll begin with Mr. Jallo. Our student debt is a, an important um, thing to challenge. And I think we need to look at uh, the cost of, 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 the co of what it takes to go. So our, our professors are getting huge salaries. Um, our college universities have large endowment funds, which is an endowment is usually money that's set aside to ensure the financial stability of the institution. Some of these institutions took millions of dollars from the CARES Act. So that's money that could have gone to help people that actually needed it. I think my college education was expensive, but it was an investment in myself. So it is kind of a personal choice. You weigh how much is it gonna cost and how much do I need this education to further my career and how much is it gonna benefit me and my family? And it's something you take personally. Thank you. And then Ms. Schumacher, same question to you. Yeah, so first of all, the reason that we're seeing increases in the price of college isn't because of college professor salaries. It's partially because of we're seeing an increase in administrative costs. Um, just in case you're wondering, first of all, you can look up all our professor salaries online. It's public information at Western. I would make more money if I went to an economic consulting job, but I love teaching at Western. I love um, doing research at Western. So if we did want to talk about lowering tuition prices, um, two things that are two kind of macro trends. One is we are seeing an increase in administration. And so I think I do think that we need to look carefully at college administrators. Um, another thing too, is that state governments used to put more into four-year and community and technical colleges. When we look at the economic impacts of a college education, we see that it's not just good for the people that get a college education, but also for the people around them. We, we talk about this as a positive externality, that when we have trained people working around, they make other people more productive. And ensuring that everyone that's talented and that wants to go to college can go to college if that's what they want to do, no matter how much money their parents make, um, it means that we're allowed to develop that talent. The most valuable thing in our society is not gold, it's not land, it's people and their talents. And so when we fail to invest in people, whether that's college students, whether that's preschool students, whether that's someone who wants to do an apprenticeship or take an ulterior route, then we're missing out on economic opportunities. Thank you so much, Mr. Amel. Same question to you. I think you just heard a big part of the reason why I like working with uh, Representative Sharon Shoemake so much. You know, I, we, we were both able to vote this last year to pass uh, funding for the Workforce Investment Act to keep the Washington College promise. Um, what that means is students from low-income families are going to have access to fully funded uh, state need grants. Um, but it also is going to mean um, not balancing our state's budget on the backs of our students. Uh, my opponents made a commitment not to raise taxes, and um, that means um, in, in a tight budget year, we're going to be looking for cuts. And if, um, if we follow the pattern in the last recession, a lot of those cuts end up being um, cuts to our state schools, and that means increases in tuition and more college debt. 
Um, so I'm, I'm committed to taking a different path um, to address um, our, our unfair and, and frankly broken uh, tax structure in Washington state. Thank you so much. And it seems that we did in fact manage to get Ms. Alicia Rule into the call. Happy to have you. So if it's all right, I'd like to also field this question to you. Uh, I really am excited about some of the things that they just worked on that Representative Shoemake and Rammel have just mentioned. Uh, as the first generation in my family to go to college, I know firsthand how important it is to have opportunity. And I really think that equal opportunity is something that our state legislature has a primary responsibility to do for our constituents. So I really do look forward to more um, availability to do uh, opportunity creation like this. And I wanna make sure that we have thought about everybody when we're thinking about this kind of legislation so that everybody has the chance to make a choice to go to college if they choose to. We will start for this question with Mr. Hazlow. What actions will you take in Congress to address the massive college debt that students in our country face? Yeah, boy, I was sure hoping that question would come up. So what I would do to address this massive student debt is uh, I would look to the colleges. I would look to the colleges. So right now we have college for profit. Let's, let's take a look at this. I wrote these down earlier today. Western Washington University has $77.3 million in their endowment. Can they not afford to help people go to school? Washington State, 540 million. University of Puget Sound, 260 million. I think the colleges can afford to do this. If the colleges are that worried about it and the students are that worried about it, look to the colleges, not to the government. Free isn't free. That's what people don't understand. Free costs somebody until you run out of that other person's money. Thank you. And then Congressman Larson, same question to you. Let me just start with the principle that, uh, in my view, um, public education is a foundation for ensuring an access to opportunity for, for all Americans. And so on that point, uh, I support, uh, I've supported legislation in the past, I support legislation now that would offer two years of free tuition to students who meet certain income uh, and academic achievement um, standards. Uh, this is a bill that first introduced under the Obama administration. I'd like to see that introduced uh, under a Biden-Harris administration. We need to expand access to dual enrollment and early college high school programs. It'll cut the debt down uh, when, they, when they come out of school uh, at, the, at the back end. And we need, need to make student loans cheaper um, as well. We need to let students renegotiate their loans to what's offered in the market, which is currently much lower than what they have now. Thank you. And then once again, we will jump over to Congresswoman Delbeni. Like many of you, I was able to attend college on a combination of financial aid, loans, grants, and work study. I'm not saying it was easy back then, but it was certainly much easier than it is today. I have consistently stood up for students and supported efforts at the federal level to help states provide tuition-free community college, particularly to low-income and first-generation students. I've strongly advocated to make college more affordable and accessible by lowering student loan interest rates, allowing loan refinancing, and strengthening proven programs like Pell Grants and Perkins loans. To invest in our future, we must make higher education affordable. It should be an option for all, not a luxury. Now that we've heard from various candidates on the topic of the college debt crisis, Let's move over to the Public Utilities District candidates as they discuss the internet access in Whatcom County. 
what is your vision for the future of internet access in Whatcom County? Ms. Grant, you can start us off. You know, people are so frustrated with the poor quality of internet services available to them. Um, So 15 other PUDs offer open access fiber optic internet infrastructure to their communities. Um, And, you know, our PUD didn't engage on this for a long time. Um, And, you know, I think that that decision has hurt Whatcom families and businesses. You know, many other developed countries are, are, have already moved significantly towards fiber optic internet infrastructure or have plans to move there. Our bandwidth needs are doubling every 12 to 18 months. Um, and so we, we need um, infrastructure that's going to um, allow for that growth, to um, help attract industries, to allow people to do tech jobs from home um, so that our kids get the education they need. So um, we've got to apply for those grants and we have to use the financing tools that many other PUDs are already using, um, local utility districts and, um, and working with community development financial institutions to help finance um, this investment that pays for itself over time. Thank you. Mr. McClure, your response. In the 1930s, there was a big discussion about rural electrification and uh, electricity was no longer a luxury. It was a necessity for modern life. This is, uh, couldn't be more true of broadband. This goes beyond to a matter of social equity, not only for distance learning, for telehealth, for public safety, and many, many other initiatives. Two years ago, the PUD and the port entered into an agreement to develop a fiber optic backbone uh, throughout Whatcom County to reach the most uh, remote accesses of the county. Uh, the plan involves three phases. Um, and would provide open access to internet service providers in a true public-private partnership. Um, Some of this has been slowed down because of the pandemic, but we also have new technology advances like Starlink and SpaceX uh, with a network of point-to-point access with satellites that uh, needs to be integrated into our understanding of what this fiber optic backbone wants to be. The candidates covered a wide range of topics specific to university students. And another important topic the candidates delved into was institutional racism and the topic of defunding the police. And I'll hand it over to Jude to introduce that. We spoke with most candidates on their stances regarding defunding the police, as well as how institutional racism, sexism, ableism, nativism, and other forms of discrimination can be combated using legislative power and political participation. On the local level, these issues are particularly relevant since the Bellingham City Council is exploring changes to the police budget. On the state level, this discussion has been taken up by all the candidates. The controversial nature of this topic made many candidates hesitant to comment on defunding the police. At the same time, most candidates expressed some recognition of the impacts of institutional and systemic racism in our community. What actions will you take to address structural inequities and systemic discrimination at the state level? And Ms. Rule, we'll start with you. Uh, This is something that I've been working on my whole life. As a social worker, this is embedded in our code of ethics. And I have sought after opportunities to elevate their voices and look for what I like to think about as our blind spots. That a lot of times what happens with racism is that we miss it. We miss it if we're, you know, white people like me, we might not know because it's not our experience. But one of the things I'm really proud of is that I'm a very, very good listener and I pay attention. And I look forward to bringing and elevating those voices in Olympia for us. 
Thank you so much. We're going to jump over to Ms. Shoemake. Same question to you. When we talk about systemic racism, we have to recognize that it's not just one thing. It happens in so many sectors of our economy. As a member of the business school faculty, we're hearing from businesses that they want graduates who know how to work in diversity and how to think through that. We also have to look at it into our hiring decisions, um, both at the state level, but also at protections for folks. Um, we passed a bill last year, last session, um, that may not sound like a big deal, but it actually is a big deal. And that was prohibitions on discriminating against women for their hair. Um, and so I, I had an African roommate, an African-American roommate in college. And, you know, I wake up and I'm like, whatever, I'm ready to go. And she spent a lot of time on her hair because natural hair wasn't viewed as, you know, professional enough. Right. And so we, we can't have that happen. And I wouldn't have known to bring that bill up, but we have an incredible black caucus who did bring that bill up. And then Mr. Jalo, you go ahead and round out the question. Same question to you. Um, everybody deserves to have the same amount of services regardless of their ethnicity, uh, their race, their gender, their gender identity. I've hired people of, of all different ethnicities and um, citizenship statuses. And, and, and I mean, that's, that's just, it's appalling. Although at the same time, we can't say that there's quotas that you have to look at at this because that just hurts everybody. We want to get the best people possible for the job and if you are found to be discriminative then that's that's a strike against you and they should be removed from whatever position they're in and should not be in hr same question to you um so i i would just say that um you know dealing with these structural inequalities and systemic racism isn't one bill that we're going to pass next year it's not a suite of bills it's it's got to become part of everything that we're doing so last year we uh we created a washington state office of equity we still need to fund it um, but that's, I think, an important part of how we can be thinking about um, sort of the, the data underlying this. That's going um, to mean um, changes to our tax structure. I think it probably almost certainly means fully funding the working families tax credit. Um, it means fully funding uh, our schools. It means early childhood education. Um, it means access to higher education and climate policy like we talked about earlier. So I'm, I'm committed to it in all of those areas, and I'm committed to addressing those problems uh, through the lens of the principle, nothing about us without us, because representation matters, and so we need those diverse voices. Dr. Searns, what actions will you take to remove structural inequities and systemic discrimination from Washington's justice system? Well, I think, first of all, you need to... Um to be aware that it exists and be knowledgeable uh, about the problem. Um, and, and then of course we need to listen, we need to reach out to all stakeholders. I think we need to seek more funding. I've heard something as high as 80% of uh, African-Americans who are charged with crimes uh, have public defenders and the caseloads for public defenders are, are very high. I, I think part of it is being a role model and being a leader recognizing the problem, uh, speaking about it every chance you, you get. Justice Montoya Lewis, uh, you're up next. As I may have mentioned in my opening, addressing these issues has been the driving force of my career. It's the reason that I went to law school. If we are going to address structural inequities and change stru structural inequities, that we have to be honest about the foundation upon which our legal system is built. The fact that we have extraordinary disproportionality of Black men incarcerated, of Native children in the foster care system, 
is not a flaw in the system. It is a feature of the system. The system is working the way it was intended when it was built. Thank you. Judge Larson, you're up. For years, the judiciary has had studies and task force and all and commissions and everything else, and nothing changes. The system right now reinforces and aggravates racism that's in our, in our larger society. Now, the idea of respect and dignity comes from a thing called procedural fairness, which is something I've been trying to get into the courts uh, for quite some time. But, but the idea, and you can watch a video on my Facebook page from a guy named Lamont Stiles, who talks about being in my court and the difference and the impact it has on people when they're treated differently. And when, again, when the system's wired to punish you from the get-go, it's no wonder that it aggravates and reinforces racism. And that's what has to change. We have to start with a therapeutic approach. But the point is, is if we greet people of color in the court system in a way that's constructive for their lives and shows them a better way, then we're, we're going to be a lot better off. Congressman Larson, this question will begin with you. What is your position on defunding law enforcement agencies? I do not support defunding law enforcement agencies, uh, but... Uh, we do need to pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act because there are problems with law enforcement in this country, like creating a national police misconduct registry, mandating the use of dashboard cameras, uh, prohibiting federal, state, and local law enforcement from discriminatory profiling, banning chokeholds, and, and no-knock warrants at the federal level. I also have supported in the past and continue to support demilitar demilitarizing the police and limiting the scope of the, uh, we call the Section 1033 program. And Mr. Hazelow, some question to you. Police defunding, absolutely not. That has gotta be one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my entire life. I was a cop in San Diego for the Department of Defense. Nobody in my force that I know of, and nobody police officer I've ever met, wakes up one morning and says, hey, I'm just gonna go out and find somebody and beat them up and kill them. Now, Mr. Larson's bill, or the one he supports, has some good stuff in it. I believe that the police should be held accountable. But what I also believe is that criminals should be held accountable. I don't know if any, well, most of the students there who are watching this are probably gonna know who Chris Rock is. I suggest you go out and watch Chris Rock's video about how not get in trouble with the police. It's, it's funny, but it's truthful. We need to teach respect to our sons and daughters. We need to teach respect to our young people and they need to respect the officers in charge. And that's what we need to do. We don't need to defund the police. Thank you to you both. And then we will jump over to Congresswoman Delvene's video. The deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Manuel Ellis, and too many others have shed a painful light on police brutality and the injustices, discrimination, and bias impacting Black Americans and the BIPOC community. On the heels of protests this summer, I was extremely proud to join my colleagues in the Congressional Black Caucus as an original co-sponsor of the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. This legislation takes much needed steps towards ending police brutality and racial profiling and providing accountability and transparency. Making changes around the margins clearly won't solve this problem. And this bill is a bold first step but one bill alone will not address centuries of discrimination and racism. It will take all of us. We must all stand up and speak out for change. What actions have you personally taken to address your own implicit biases? 
And we're going to go ahead and start with Mr. Nelson. I work with people every day from every minority group, people unjustly jailed, legal and illegal immigrants, people with mental illnesses, and people who are homeless, and people whose sexual identities are different than my own. I'm down in the trenches with them, doing whatever I can to help them. My life is about helping them and trying to give them a voice in our legal system. I have lived with these people. I would live with these folks that have been prejudiced against. And so that's how I've learned uh, I, to understand them and not have uh, those implicit biases of my own. Okay, next on that, we would like to hear from Mr. Jones. So addressing um, my personal biases and uh, has been a constant conversation over the last, um, you know, the last several months. Because of my background as a teacher, I'm, I'm also um, given the responsibility of being in charge of all the training uh, in, the, in the Whatcom County Prosecutor's Office currently. And we've been doing concrete and significant things to address our biases, including my own. And these are just, these are just conversations that are necessary and um, to engage in. And, and I'm doing that and, and feel strongly that not only I should do it, but others, others in the system. We need to be fully honest with ourselves. Um, and, and so I'm trying to do that. Thank you. Uh, next, uh, we'd like to hear from Mr. Erb on addressing your own implicit biases. You know, I think it is critically important to recognize uh, that we all uh, carry with us implicit biases. You know, that is the first and most fundamental step um, and educating ourselves uh, around what those biases may be for each one of us and learning the tools and the skills to make sure that our decision-making uh, at all times uh, is as free from bias as possible. And, uh, and I think that that is critically important to actually meet with uh, folks and leaders of color uh, to hear from them directly about these issues and the things that we can do uh, to be allies uh, in order to reduce some of the problems that plague our system. Thank you. Final response for this question, we would like to hear from Judge Freeman. First of all, I think we all would like to think we, we don't have biases. And the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter who you've worked with, um, we all do. And the problem with implicit bias is that it's something that's subconscious. It's something that we're not aware of when we're doing it. And that's why it's something that we have to constantly be working at. Um, objectively, I've taken training uh, as a review judge uh, for implicit bias. I also took training when I was a volunteer guardian ad litem. I had the opportunity to take uh, Raquel Montoya Lewis's training. I think bias can appear differently in different circumstances. And my work as an administrative law judge might be different than my work as a guardian ad litem. Uh, moving right along, institutionalized racism, sexism, ableism, and gender identity bias is a major concern. What actions will you take to address systemic discrimination in Washington? I think we need to help people understand the, uh, the embedded uh, intolerance uh, and implicit bias that you know, surrounds us. And just recognizing that is, is important. We need to build our budgets around equity. So I've instructed my agencies that when they propose their budgets, they will, uh, they will propose ones based on equity. We have to look at this throughout our system in education. We need to ask why uh, young black males are subject to such disproportionate uh, discipline uh, in our school system so that these children don't get uh, left behind. 
we have to find ways to have, to allow small business people of color to have a fairer shot at getting contracts with the state of Washington. So in sum, we've got to look at equity throughout our systems to uh, advance the, as Martin Luther King, the arc in the moral universe. Thank you. A follow-up, what is your position on defunding law enforcement agencies? Well, I think we need to embrace a concept of service with humility. And we need to, uh, we need to make sure that is throughout our law enforcement culture. And I think, as I, know, I mentioned, there's a number of things we can do to make sure that if there is violence between police and citizens, that there is a just result of that. It's appropriate, independent, and fair to all concerned. But we've got to focus on preventing that violence uh, to start with. We've had a lot of tragedies where a person is having a mental health episode that ends up in, in violence. And having a way to bring more mental health professionals uh, on the scene to try to prevent that uh, is something that ought to be considered. But I think there's things we can do in training as well. Uh, we have led the nation in de-escalation training. Barack Obama was kind of proud and said that we had the best de-escalation training in the United States. But there's things we can do to improve, particularly on this recognition of mental health issues. With election security and validity at the forefront of political discourse, students are also particularly invested in how these conversations impact the accessibility of political engagements. And I'll pass it over to Ada to talk a little bit more about that. We wanted to finish this discussion by talking about some of the main issues facing our election by sitting down with the candidates for Secretary of State, the incumbent Kim Wyman and her de Democratic opponent Gail Tarleton. We wanted to finish this discussion by talking about the main issues facing our election, sitting down with candidates for Secretary of State, the incumbent Kim Wyman and her Democratic opponent Gail Tarleton. When discussing the issue of security in this election, both candidates agree that mail-in ballots are safe, but different in how they would approach making our elections safer and more accessible. They also agree that Washington is leading the way in mail-in voting with many ballot boxes in our state. Whoever is elected in this position will have a lot of power to determine the future of how our elections are held. The Secretary of State position oversees the electoral process in Washington state to ensure fair and free elections. Secretary Wyman, what steps will you take to ensure that voting continues to become easier and even more accessible for as many Washingtonians as possible? Really continuing some of the work we've been doing over the last eight years, getting out into communities. And for example, we've worked very closely with county auditors across the state to reach out to Native American communities and go into uh, the leadership in, in tribal lands and find out where the, the challenges are. For example, we found that non-traditional addresses really prevent a lot of uh, people living on uh, the Yakima Nation land uh, from getting a ballot. So we in implemented a system that has geocoded pins that we can drop that are exactly in the precinct where they live and worked with tribal leaders to put a ballot drop box next to the community center. It's really doing that tailored and customized uh, outreach to groups to find out what's keeping them from participating and really working every day to ensure that we have the most inclusive system that, that is secure and accurate and, and inspires confidence. Thank you so much. And Representative Tarleton, same question to you. It's so important to understand access from the perspective of those who don't have it. Uh, this pandemic has presented us with a kind of challenge uh, that we should have really tackled to understand that voting by mail doesn't automatically guarantee access if people 
don't have access to a ballot box that is nearby, if they don't have access to uh, online access to votewa.gov, our elections management and voter registration system. Uh, we need new technologies, we need innovation, we need solutions, and we need your ideas. Uh, one of the ideas was we should have voter registration set up in our high schools. We had pre-registration of 16 and 17 year olds. Having high schools and community and technical colleges be places where we are also registering to vote is one way of expanding access. And there's a whole slew of other ideas we have too. Thank you so much, Representative Tarleton. What is the biggest issue that you anticipate tackling as the Secretary of State? Uh, number one is we need to understand why about 800,000 to a million Washingtonians who are eligible to vote and our citizens are not even registered to vote. Uh, automatic voter registration is a crucial ingredient to uh, making that vote accessible to all the people. We must tackle how we expand voter participation while protecting against the kinds of future threats that we are going to face. Because it's not just about cyber attacks, it's about misinformation, which we are experiencing right now. We need to address these kinds of systems technology issues that we need to be testing our election systems, our critical infrastructure for our elections to make sure that, they under, that we understand the vulnerabilities and that we are preparing for them. Thank you so much. Uh, Secretary Wyman, same question to you. Well, well, the biggest issue that, that I think we're facing is the one we're dealing with right now, and that's the cybersecurity threats to our elections, both in terms of attacks uh, to misinformation and disinformation. So here in Washington State, we've created the only uh, election cybersecurity operations center in the country. We're not only supporting the Secretary of State's office and the vote law system, but we're also supporting the 39 counties that actually do the work. As my opponent just said, it's about uh, not only reaching out to to voters, but it's it's really about protecting your vote, protecting your voter information, and making sure that the information you're making decisions on as a voter is accurate and, and is trusted and is coming from trusted sources. Thank you so much. Representative Tarleton, how do you plan to meet new and rising challenges to voting security? With more than 30 years as a national security expert, uh, this is why I am running for this office. Uh, the reason why our democracy is under attack by foreign powers is that they don't want us to exercise self-governing. I have a long background in understanding where the threat is coming from, and I understand how to fight back. You can't allow attacks to happen on the legitimacy of vote by mail and not expect that there would be a consequence. We had a lawsuit that our attorney general had to file against the Trump administration to demand the return of the mail sorting machines that have been removed from the post office. Uh, the people have lost confidence in the reliability of our postal service because of the president's attacks. We not only need to understand where the threat is coming from, we need to understand how to fight back. And that expertise working with federal, state, and local partners is what I will bring to understanding the future threats we face. Thank you so much. And Secretary Wyman, same question to you. As Secretary of State, I get to impact and affect our election system. So two years ago, we replaced 
14-year-old servers that uh, were the state's election uh, voter registration system with a state-of-the-art integrated system that not only connects the 39 counties in a way that we've never been able to uh, communicate before and has helped us implement things like same-day registration in a really positive way, building the security and access that the counties need to be able to provide those services. But we also were able to build the cyber defenses around that system in a way that just wasn't possible even four years ago. We're continuing to deal with misinformation like what the uh, president has spread on multiple occasions. And uh, doing the work is, uh, is really important to protect our system. And I have uh, shared facts with, uh, with the president. Thank you for tuning in to our executive order this week. The full local and state candidate forum can be found on our YouTube account, ASWWOCE. And we encourage you to check out the candidate forum and meet some of the candidates, as well as learn about some local and state issues. Tune in next Monday when we talk about the initial results of the presidential election or listen to us on Cugs or really wherever you get your podcasts.